Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Last week, Pastor Paul did such a good job with with our Bible series that this week on Monday, as the pastors were gathering together, we thought that would be a great way to finish the Bible series. And so we were left with what what to do tonight. And so they said, Timon, you can have a free hit. You can do whatever you want. And so I was just praying about it. And as I was praying about it, one of the things that the Lord has been speaking to me about lately has been joy. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you really enjoy being a Christian? The reason I ask you that question is because this week, I've really enjoyed being a Christian. As I've just marveled in my heart at the fact that God has actually called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, I've found myself being filled with joy inexpressible. I've I've found joy just welling up in my soul. Now, sadly, that isn't always my experience. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, just in my private moments, I found myself complaining and just whinging. You know, the weather here in Adelaide, you know, as you go into sort of winter, the days get shorter, it gets colder, you can get like a sore throat or you can get a bit of a sniffle. And I found myself just complaining about living here in Adelaide. I mean, it's so much better back in Queensland. And they play the right type of football as well, but we won't get into that. And so I found myself just complaining and whinging. And, you know, when you start complaining and when you start whinging and when you start being negative, all of a sudden your whole mindset starts to become negative. And I found my, my, my negative mindset started spilling up on my wife, Tegan, and then it started spilling out over my kids. And then it started spilling out over my work colleagues. And, you know, even probably started spilling up over the church. And, this is, and so I realized that I needed an attitude adjustment because the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, that there should be joy inexpressible, that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, if the Spirit is in you, then you should have joy. I wonder, do you really enjoy being a Christian? Well, that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to look at how we can actually enjoy being a Christian. And from this passage in Romans 8, basically what Paul says is that if your joy has dried up in your life, then you've forgotten who you are as a child of God. And he says, you need to remember four things. If, you, if the joy has dried up in your life and you find yourself complaining all the time, then you need to remember four things. Now, just to set the context of our passage that we're going to be looking at tonight, uh, Paul, from verses 12 to verse 17, in a great rhetorical flourish, he speaks about the fact that when you become a Christian, this is amazing stuff, you don't just get forgiven, you also become God's child. Look down in verse 14. He says, For all those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You become a child of God. When you enter into relationship with Christ and you get given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you become a child of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The whole attitude of your Christian life is not supposed to be one of slavery, that you're in bondage. It's not supposed to be like that, that you're in this prison and in this bondage and this slavery to fear. But the whole attitude of your Christian life is supposed to be one of freedom, one of intimacy with God, where you have this intimacy with God, where you cry out, Abba, Father. You have this closeness with God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a children of God, a child of God. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit works in your heart. And He does this work where He ministers to your soul. And you, you find that you are a child of God. He witnesses to the fact that you are a child of God. And verse 17: if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. An heir is someone who is going to inherit the fortune of the family. You're a child of God. You're an heir of God. You're a co-heir with Christ. This is amazing stuff. But then he goes on to say in the very next breath in verse 17, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is suffering on the road to glory. There is suffering on the road to glory. And what... Paul does in the next chapter or the next paragraph from verses 18 to 30 is he shows the relationship between suffering and glory. And he shows that if you want to have joy as a Christian, then you need to remember four things about your identity as a child of God. Here's the first thing that you need to remember. Here's the first one. You need to remember that as a child of God, your present sufferings are nothing in compared to the future glory that awaits you. As a child of God, your present sufferings are nothing in comparison to future glory. Look down in verse 18. Paul says, For I consider... The word consider there is a, a verb of mental perception. He's saying, "For I, it's my conviction as I weigh things up. I consider that the sufferings of this present time... Now, the word time there should probably be best translated age. You see, the Jews, they divided the ages into this present evil age that we are now living since the fall and the age to come, the age of Messiah when the kingdom of God would come. But you see, Jesus had come and he is the Messiah and he had died and he had been raised from the dead. And so he had brought in the kingdom of God in one sense but yet we're still living in the in-between time in this present evil age until Jesus comes back, until he returns and consummates God's kingdom. And so in the present time in which we live, we will suffer. And in particular, as Christians, we will suffer. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. The world hated me. You can expect that if the world hated me, Jesus said, the world will hate you. And the Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering. The Apostle Paul, he could take off his shirt and he could say, you want to see the marks of Christ? I bear in my body the marks of following Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, he, he outlines all the suffering that he's gone through. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I received the 40 lashes minus one. I was in danger in the, in the country, in danger in the city, in danger from false brothers. He says, I've gone without sleep. I've gone without food. I've done all this for the sake of the gospel. So the apostle Paul knew what it was like to suffer. And yet he says... 
For I consider, look at this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. With the glory that's going to be revealed to us. You see, if you want joy, it comes from adopting a certain perspective where you recognize that your suffering in the present is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits you as a child of God. And what is that glory? It is the glory of resurrection. Now, Paul, he could at this point, he could, what he could do is he could exhort us to persist or to, or to keep on going or to endure. But what he does is he dazzles us with future glory. You see, this future glory has cosmic implications. Look down in your Bibles in verse 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing. That word eager longing in the original language has the idea of turning your neck to have a look at something. You know, as a speaker, I know that when I'm talking, when I'm speaking, if people are really listening, then they will lean forward in their seats. They'll be on the edge of their seats and they'll be leaning forward to hear what I have to say. Well, this is what he's saying right here. His creation is leaning forward with eager anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God. For why is this? Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul goes right back to Genesis chapter 1 and he says in Genesis chapter 1, God created a perfect world. But then in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God cursed this world. As Paul says in verse 20, he subjected it to fertility. So this world is under a curse. It's, it's, it's in bondage, as Paul says in verse 21. It's subjected to corruption. Now, scientists will tell you this. They will tell you that this world is atrophying, that, it, that eventually, you know, if this world is left to its own, then what will happen is all the stars will go out in the night, all of the life on the planet all the resources on the planet will be exhausted and there'll be nothing left but darkness in this universe. You see, all of this world is subject to, to sin and to death and to decay. But this is, this. oh my, this is amazing. This is amazing. When, when, when the resurrection happens and Jesus comes back and we are resurrected as the children of God, not only will we be changed, but all of creation will be changed and the curse will be lifted. You think this creation is great? As my African-American pastor used to say over in the States, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. You've not seen anything yet. You know, it's interesting. A few years ago, my family and I, we went on a holiday to New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Beautiful, beautiful scenes in New Zealand. And we went to this place called Queenstown. Who here has been to Queenstown? Yeah, you've been to Queenstown? Went to Queenstown and, and we, got, we got this, um, this, this really nice house on the side of the hill overlooking, the, uh, Queenstown is, has this lake that it's built upon and these huge mountains that just seem to tower out of the lake. And every morning I would get up and I would just 
look out the window and, and there would be these beautiful towering mountains. But you know, those mountains are still subjected to decay and to death. And they are nothing like what creation is going to be like when the curse is lifted and creation and the, and, and the futility and bondage of creation is released and creation is renewed and we have the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be breathtaking. It's going to be amazing. And while we wait, it says, Paul says, creation groans. But not only does creation groan, but we also groan. Notice this in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've been given the down payment of the Holy Spirit now. We groan as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, as part of fallen creation, your body is decaying. I know for every person who's sort of under 25, you don't believe me, but your body is decaying. It is subjected to decay. Uh, late last year, we were playing um, indoor cricket with the pastors. And as we we're playing indoor cricket, I was, uh, you, know, I, you know, when I play sport, in my mind, I'm like still 15, all right? And so I, I, I lined up to bowl like I was 15, and I just bowled my arm off. And, and, and the, something went in my shoulder, and I've just had this pain, this really severe pain in my shoulder ever since then. And so a couple of months ago, I went to the physio to get it sort of sorted, and they told me that I've now got a rotor cuff injury in my shoulder, and it will never return to what it once was. This means my cricketing career is over. I'll never make Australia's 11, you know? And so we groan as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And we all groan in some ways, and, and there might be some people here today who really do groan with severe pain in their body. Uh, you know, William Cowper was a great hymn writer. Uh, he wrote the hymn, um, Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings, Tune Thy Heart to Sing Thy Praise. He wrote some of the greatest hymns that we still sing today, and yet little do people know that William Cowper really struggled with dark times and depression and things like that. His whole life he struggled with these things. He groaned as he awaited the redemption of his body. But you see, what can help us in our present suffering, and we will all suffer in different ways, is that when we consider our present sufferings, they are nothing in comparison to future glory. And you see, I think part of the reason why we complain and part of the reason why we become negative is because we have bought into what I call Presentism. You know what presentism is? It's FOMO. It's this idea that all I have is now. This is all I've got. So, you know what? Christians should never have a bucket list. Do you know what a bucket list is? A bucket list is a list of things that I need to do before I die. Christians don't need a bucket list because Christians are not trying to suck the marrow out of every last moment of life. Because for Christians, our best life is not now. Our best life is coming. And so what Christians can do is Christians can sacrifice in the present for the future. Christians can give up their life now because they consider their present suffering nothing in comparison to future glory. I remember a great quote by Elizabeth Elliot. She once said, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep 
to gain that which you cannot lose. So if you're lacking joy and you find yourself complaining, it's probably because you've forgotten that as a child of God, your present suffering is nothing in comparison to future glory. The second thing that you, you need to remember is not only that your present suffering is nothing in comparison to future glory, but also you are not an orphan. You are not an orphan. Look down in verse 26. Paul goes on to say, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He's just said that we groan inwardly as we await the redemption of our body, that we are weak but we have the Holy Spirit right now to help us in our weaknesses. You see, what is an orphan? An orphan is someone who thinks that they are on their own. But Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you on your own. But I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you the Spirit to be, who has been with you, and he will be in you. And he will be your helper. He will help you. You know, I was thinking this week about the type of person that God wants me to be. I was thinking about the type of um, husband that God wants me to be, the type of father God wants me to be, the type of leader God wants me to be. And I realized that in myself, I cannot be that person. I don't have the resources to do that because I'm so weak. But I'm not left as an orphan. I'm not left on my own. I have the Spirit to help me in my weaknesses. You know, one of my weaknesses as a person is that I, I love the approval of people. I love having people approve of me and, and, and say good things about me. And, and this can be a, a difficulty when you're a pastor and you're leading a church, when you have to have people like you. And I've thought many times, how am I going to overcome this weakness? Well, I can't overcome it in my own strength, but... But I don't need to, because I have the Spirit. I'm not an orphan. I have the Spirit to help me in my weakness. Jesus said concerning the Spirit in John chapter 8, he said, I will send forth the Spirit, and he will come, and there will be streams of living water that will flow out of you. You're not orphans. You have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, sometimes we don't even know how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings that are too deep for words. There are some times when we don't even know how to pray. And in those times, mysteriously, the Spirit is groaning for us. He's interceding for us. Verse 27, And he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amazingly, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Now, this is a big mystery, these verses. And to be honest, I don't fully understand how they work out. But we have God the Father, our Father in heaven. We have Jesus, who is at his right hand, interceding for us. And in us, we have the Holy Spirit, who is also interceding for us. When we don't know how to pray, this is amazing, who helps us in our weakness. So we are not orphans. Remember, you're not an orphan. But the third thing that you need to remember, if you want joy... If you want joy in your Christian life, is you need to remember that it's not about you. It's not about you. Now look down in verse 28. This is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. And we know that for those who love God, 
For those who have responded to God's love and have become his children and now love him, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But what is his purpose? Well, he tells us in the next verse, for those whom he foreknew, he also called to be, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's God's purpose? God's purpose is that we become like Jesus. That is what God is doing. God is actually transforming us into the image of Christ. And why is this? It's in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers in order that Jesus might get the supreme glory. You see, it's not about you. Your story is not about you. It's about Jesus. God, all the things that are happening in your life are happening so that you will be conformed to the image of Christ so that Jesus will be glorified. It's not about you. You know, when I complain and when I whinge and when my, my attitude goes negative, it's because I think that I'm the center of the universe and it's all about me. I mean, how dare the universe give me cold weather? How dare it? I deserve to be comfortable at a, a temperature of 23 degrees all of my life. How dare the universe do that to me? How dare people put crumbs on the bench in my house? How dare they leave dishes out? How dare people drive to work when I want to drive to work so that I can't get to work on time? How dare people do that to me? I mean, it's all about me, right? No, it's not. It's not all about you. The story's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's what the story is all about. The story is all about Jesus. And everything that's happening in your life is happening so that you will be conformed to the image of Christ and therefore bring glory to Christ. One of my friends, Roland Foreman, he said that we're all part of this large story that God is writing in order to glorify Jesus. And you just have a little bit of the story in fact, City Reach Baptist Church, we're just a tiny little bit of the story. But that tiny little bit of the story, we have to respond in faith and we have to turn to Jesus and allow God to transform us so that we will look like Jesus and so we will bring glory to Jesus. So if you want joy, remember that your present suffering is nothing in comparison to future glory. Remember, you are not an orphan. You can, you can rely on the power of the Spirit to help you in your weakness. Remember that it's not about you. And finally, here's, here's the final thing. You ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say... Okay, let's try it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say... Ah, oh, man, you did so much better than City Reach West. <laughs> I preached this, this message to them this morning. You know, Paul... In verse 30, he rejoices in the salvation of God. It's a salvation that from end, from beginning to end is what he does. Look in verse 30, he says, and those whom he predestined. It says in Ephesians chapter one, that in love he predestined us to be adopted as his children. Those whom he predestined, he also called. He called out to them to become his followers. And those whom he called, he also justified. He declared them to be righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
And then Paul says after this, look at this. This is so awesome. He says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, we need to rejoice in what the Lord has done and what he has done for us. So many times I get focused on what I do, on my efforts. And when I get focused on my efforts, my joy dries up. But when I rejoice in the Lord and again I say, then I find myself filling up with joy. When I remember that I was called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and I marvel at that fact, that I can't believe that Jesus would save me. And he would call me out of darkness, pick me up out of darkness, and place me in his light. And I can't believe that. That is just amazing. Amazing that God would do that. It fills me with joy. So maybe tonight, as you think about your life, maybe tonight the reason why you're lacking in joy, as I looked at my life a couple of weeks ago and thought, why am I lacking in joy? It's because I've forgotten who I was as a child of God. I was focusing on my present sufferings rather than future glory. I was thinking I was an orphan when actually I've been given the gift of the Spirit and I was making my life all about me and I wasn't rejoicing in the Lord and in his work in my life. And I wonder, I wonder, are you here tonight and do you have that joy inexpressible? I used to sing this song when I was a kid. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? 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 Some of you used to sing that too. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart today. And I'm so happy. So very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my soul. You know, I don't, some of you, it might be down, 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 way down too deep. And I just pray that it would rise to the surface as you remember who you are as a child of God and what you've been given. Let me pray for you. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word that we've received tonight. There's so much joy to be found in Jesus. That the Christian life is not a drudgery. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to have joy in the Lord because of our relationship with Jesus. And so, Father, we, I just pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't yet know Jesus, that they would turn to him and they would experience the joy of the Lord flooding their soul as the Holy Spirit confirms that they are God's child. You know, I just pray for you tonight that if you need an infusion of joy, then you'll remember what the Word of God says about who you are as His child. Lord, I pray that you'd apply this Word to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's